0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. You ever get lost going somewhere you know you're going anyway? Like I know how to get there and I got lost. That ever happened to you? It's like different stages of getting lost. But there's some kind of loss that we get and it's just like, I took a wrong turn and I know where I'm at, but I, I need to kind of circle around to get back. There's some times we get lost and, and we just don't have a clue. I had a friend tell me this past week, I've never been lost. Really? I've been No, I just, I take a really long scenic route sometimes. <laughs> you know, way back before the days of GPS and on phone navigation, on board navigation, we used to get pretty lost. I don't know if that ever happened to you I've been, I've been so lost. One time we decided we were going to go to Carolines when I was in high school. A trip that's supposed to take about 45 minutes took about two and a half hours. You get really lost when it's, you know, like you're tripling the time that you're supposed to be on the road. And it's not just that. It's not just not having a navigation. The people are, are getting lost nowadays blaming it on the GPS system. you don't know about that? I mean, the folks that are that are literally saying, hey, I got I got lost because my GPS pointed me in the wrong way. As a matter of fact, this is a picture of someone who said this. Look at this lady. She ended up in a, in a sand trap and blamed a, a, a GPS unit for getting her trapped. I'll tell you what, we get lost. This is the first thing we know. We get lost when we go the wrong way. We get lost when we go the wrong way. And if there's one thing that should continue to kind of bombard you, one truth that you should constantly be confronted with as we continue to walk through the Scriptures here. One of the things that we should constantly be confronted about is that God has a plan for us. There is a direction and an intention that God has for us. And when we go the wrong way, we get lost. When we go the wrong way, we get lost. I want to take you back to... Uh, A very simple truth that we pulled out uh, not too long ago. I just want to revisit that for the sake of this message. It's this, that if you want what typical people have, do what typical people do. If you want what typical people have, let's just do what typical people do. If you want what normal people have, let's do what normal people do. And what's typical? What's normal in our our culture? I'm going to guess that when we look at typical and normal, we're going to say in our hearts, I don't want that. I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be separated from relationship. I don't want what's normal. But if you'll do what normal people do, You'll get what normal people get. But in turn, if we will do what only a few, if you want what only a few have, you will need to do what only a few will do. So the question kind of comes to mind. What is the direction that typical people are going in life? What is the direction? Where are they headed to? If we looked at the GPS units on their hearts, where are they being navigated to? Let's just think about where we just came out of Christmas, right? It's easy to think, like, during those times, that the more that we get the better that our lives are gonna be. Let's think about our careers, right? Careers today, they're, because of the reshaping of the American economy, employers are wanting more and paying less. They're wanting more, giving more responsibility, more duty, and they're supporting less, giving less financial reward, giving less security. There are men and women who are selling out their lives to careers that are fragile at best. Let's think about families today. What's typical in families? What's typical is less intimacy and more independence, less intimacy More independence. It's almost invariable when I sit down to do premarital counseling with young couples that are about to get married. Almost invariably, when they describe a good relationship, they describe it like that. Well, you know, we don't fight a lot. He kind of does his thing, I do mine. And I'm just sitting there smiling, going, Yeah, that ain't going to work. Y'all just strap in and get ready for that one, because um, that's where families are—greater levels of intimacy. The kids—I don't—I I don't know if you've been in a high school kids' room in the last two or three years, but they're like little mini houses. They got refrigerators and microwaves and all that. It's like a dorm room, right? Self-sustaining. They don't have to come out for anything. They look independent. Yeah. Um, We're doing that in our relationships with our spouses. Think about friendships. There's more ways in this world to connect with somebody than ever before. If you want to get me, you can call me on my cell. You can send me a postcard in the mail. You can call me on the phone at the office. You can send me an email. You can get me on Facebook. You can get me on Twitter or Instagram. I mean, all of those ways. You know what's remarkable is that there are more ways to connect and people are saying that I have less friends. As a matter of fact, a recent study showed that the, there is a, a, a direct correlation between the time, the amount of times so a person checks their Facebook account every day and how happy they are in the day-to-day. The more they check it, the less they're happy. Isn't that remarkable that we live in a world where we can connect with each other in so many different ways, we're feeling more and more lonely. What about finances? Finances, typical financial approach in our world today is less cash, more debt, right? We, we don't buy things with cash anymore. We finance them. We buy a payment is what we really do. People are beyond in debt for the level of their income. They're strapped. We just went through a a, a really widespread series of bankruptcies over the last 10 years. If you want what what normal people have, let's do what normal people do. But I'm just going to tell you that what normal is right now isn't very good. So we need to decide. That we are going to be willing to chase the newness that God desires to give us. I want to remind you of the kind of overriding series thought that we're kind of taking through this series. And it is this that Jesus didn't die so that you could be a better version of yourself. He didn't die just to upgrade you, Jesus died to make you. The message of the gospel is that God not He doesn't come in and upgrade our hearts to make us a little bit better. He completely, radically recreates us. And if we're going to live in a new you, we're going to have to recognize that we're going to have to live a new way. There's going to have to be a new way of living that we're going to need to embrace. That means that once I choose Jesus, once I decide, hey, I'm going to lock in and follow you, Jesus, that my life should no longer look the same, that there are things that are in my life that will have to be put to death, there are things that are going to have to be removed, there are things that are going to have to be addressed and transformed, and God is going to have to come, while He has made me new, He's going to have to come make that part of my life new. You know, Bush pilots that fly these these jump aircraft, I mean aircraft that land in, in fields and then fly into into remote parts of the world, use what pilots call the VFR, visual flight recognition. They 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 do not fly typically by by their panel of instruments. They're using the VFR, visual flight rules. And that works really good when you can see where you're going. Right? When you're flying in clear sky and it's a sunny day, visual flight rules work wonderfully on those days. But when you get in a fog, a little mist inside, cloud cover, all of a sudden, It becomes remarkably intimidating to be in a craft that's being piloted simply by visual threat. And I would say that our lives, most of us, we have simply been leading them by what we can see. And it doesn't mean that you're evil or that you're wrong or that you're trying to go, you're just trying to go the way that looks best to you. But the reality is that most of us are living in a fall. Zero ceiling. Zero visibility. I mean, if I put my hand in front of your face in life, just put see it. And we've been trusting what we see, but not really being able to navigate the way. I want to take you to the beginning of John 14. This is a, a central passage for us as a church. It's, I think, the boldest statement I've ever made in our of of his history. Jesus speaking. He's just kind of, let the cat out of the bag. There's going to be a time that he dies. I don't know why that's a surprise, right? But, his disciples are a little bit troubled, and so he's going to comfort them in him down here chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are so many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you with me. That you may also be where I am. You know the way, to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? It's a great question. We don't know where you're going, Jesus. How will we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through And in that moment, Jesus clears it all up for times. You were wondering that the way it was kind of a path. You were thinking that we're gonna there's gonna be a step by step process, know the way is a person and that person is me. I am the way. So Jesus tells us in this passage that he is the way to a new life. He is the way to the new life. And if we're going to live a new way, if we're going to live a better way, if we're going to live a new way, We're going to have to live the way of Jesus. Colossians three, five says this: Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. In other words, there are things that have been a part of the way that you live your earthly nature. Now that you have decided to follow Jesus, it is time to put that stuff to death and let Jesus give you new life. So today we're going to walk through. Really, just five different things that I think that we all face, that we all deal with, and we're going to look at what is the typical way, and what is the way that Jesus showed us. What is the typical way, and what is the way that Jesus showed us? Let's get talking about materialism. Materialism—you can't come out of Christmas and realize that we don't. We live in this culture that is obsessed with stuff. I mean just stuff. That's why Home Shopping Network's on TV, right? Because we love stuff. We just love it. Stuff is awesome. I want more of it. What do you want? I don't know. Just more stuff. Because I already have a house full of stuff, but I want new stuff. Because that's old stuff. And all of that rationale doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. But that's how we think. That's the way that we process. And as a matter of fact, the typical way that our culture would approach material possessions is this, is that our success is defined by what we have. Our success is defined by what we have. What your car looks like. How new is your car? How big is your house? How many bedrooms? Well, we have the same bedrooms. How many square feet do you have? To I got you be by half that and though we may never say that we we rationalize and think about that, that success is defined by what we possess what we possess but Jesus says something that is radically different and I would give you that Jesus would say this that your life will be defined by what you give. Your life will be more clearly defined by what you give, not by what you have. In Acts 20.35, Jesus is quoted as saying, It is more blessed to give than to receive. You've heard that before, right? We've heard it's 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 a bigger blessing to give. Well, let's just think about Jesus himself. Because if we're going to learn his way, we've got to look at his life. Did Jesus ever invite anyone over to his house? No. He didn't. Which actually leads a lot of scholars to speculate that outside of his home, that he lived in with his mom. Jesus was a grown man that was homeless. When it came time for him to enter Jerusalem, and he did so riding a donkey, that we, we celebrate that. That's why some folks around here have donkeys so that they can rent them the churches, right? Because then they make a ton of money because we want to ride donkeys into the church so we can look like Jesus. Jesus rode a donkey, and you know how he got that donkey? He borrowed it. He didn't pay for it. He couldn't even get a horse. He had to borrow a donkey. The king, the king of all the world, rides in and is welcomed into Jerusalem as a reigning king riding a borrowed donkey. When he died, there wasn't enough money in any of his collections to pay for a burial site. So he was put in a tomb that was owned by somebody else, a wealthy follower. Jesus didn't have anything, but I would venture to say that even if you step outside of the realm of Christendom, that Jesus is the most influential human being that ever walked the face of the earth. Now we say as Son of God, He's Messiah and Redeemer. But even other religions would recognize that He is a prophet. And His life is clearly defined by what He did. Let's look at control. I would say that it's typical in our culture to have this perspective. The more that we can control, the better our life will be. The more that I'm in control in my life, the better my life is going to be. And so, some of us, when we're young and we have bosses and we don't like our bosses, we think. I'm gonna get a promotion, I'm not gonna have a boss anymore. I'm gonna be the head dog. And I'm gonna get to tell these people. And a couple of years later, after working hard to get a promotion supervisor, a supervisor or manager, and we realize, well, now I gotta deal with people. <laughs> now these people don't know what they're doing. I gotta get them to do something. Now I have a boss that's above me. And we think, well, maybe if I could be that boss, and they still have a boss. And then some of us get wise and say, I would love to be a small business owner. I'm just going to take the craft that I've learned, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to do it on my own. I'm not going to have any bosses. I'm not going to have anybody. It's just going to be me. I'm going to go do it every day. And you find out you have a whole new set of bosses that are called clients. the reality of control is control is simply an illusion. It still boggles my mind that people get mad about the weather. I can't understand that. Like you have any control over it. Like you have any power to enact over whether it's going to rain or not. Whether it's going to be cloudy or not. Right? Control is an illusion and it wrecks your life. It absolutely wrecks your life. Here's what I would say that Jesus would tell us You're not in control. So trust the Father. You're not in control. Trust the Father. In Mark 11 Jesus says this Have faith in God. Therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask in, ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Jesus is telling us that the correct perspective of prayer is looking at God and saying, God, I'm not in control. I'm, not, I'm powerless in all of this. I can't. I can't make any any of this stuff that that I know that I want. I want to see it happen. I want to see my kids grow up to love Jesus. But you want to know something? I cannot make that happen. I mean, I can set the firewood and get it ready, but I can never light a match. I don't have those matches. Only God does. And Jesus is telling us in this passage that the correct perspective of prayer is understanding that we're powerless. We're out of control. God is in control. So if we will ask the Father to do what is His will, what He wants to do, if we will plead with Him to change lives and to see people reconciled to Him, God will do that when we ask Him and realize I'm not in I can't manipulate this world. I can't make it. I'm out of control, but I trust you, Jesus. You're yeah. Let's go back to something that we talked about with families. Families being in typical ways, less intimate, more independent. Let's look at Intimacy. I would say that the typical way that we process intimacy today is that we want to keep our distance because the closer that people get, the more damage that they can do to you. And so we have a lot of people that have lots of connections with people. We have a thousand Facebook friends. But when stuff goes really wrong in your life, when you... Hit those moments and those days when it's really going rough. You don't have anybody to call. And you keep people at a distance because the closer they get, and you experienced this in the past where you let people get close to you and they wounded you because they were so close. They had such intimacy and proximity to your heart. You just kept them away. take you back. I'm going to go to the scripture of Matthew 4. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. At that time his name was Simon. Says come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people because that's what he was doing. He was fishing and at once him and his brother left their nets and followed him. Now think about this with me. Jesus is God and human all at the same time. All the attributes of God are at play when we deal with Jesus. He's all knowing, he's omniscient, all powerful. He's still fully God. And he just invited someone that on the most important day of his earthly life would totally reject him to follow him. He just invited a man who in front of the whole world would say, no, I don't know him. Don't associate me me with him. Yeah, we're we're from the same area. We're from the same region, but he's not my friend. He just invited that guy. I almost did it. Y'all been waiting (laughs) for a year and a half. I almost did it. He just invited that guy to follow him. Think about that. As you read through the list of the disciples, those men that Jesus elevated to the position of apostle, when you think about those guys that ran, that denied him, Jesus invited them in. Jesus promoted them. Jesus even let Judas be in charge of the money. So here's what Jesus would say. People will wound you. Invite them in anyway. People are going to wound you. It's going to happen. People are going to hurt you. The only way that you can keep from getting hurt is to push people away. To live in a stale environment. To remove all of the things that could be difficult in relationally. You know what grows in a sterile environment? Nothing. Nothing grows. And God uses all that stuff for us. People are going to leave you in the fight then anyway. What about fear? about fear. I think many of us would say, especially in our world, that, that a common perception of fear is that fear is a healthy response to a troubled world. And listen, we live in a jacked up world. We do. I mean, when you sit down and look at the news at night, when you read the newspaper, when we go through our online news feeds, I mean, the stuff that we see is troubling. I mean, it's getting where it's very typical to see that someone is showing up at a, a school with a gun, right? That kind of stuff's now, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that was atypical, but now when it happens, like, oh, it happened again. I mean, the world that we live in is jacked up, no doubt about that. But listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12. Verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock, and that's an insult, by the way. Little slight around the corner insult. So he just called you sheep. In those days, that was not a very nice thing to be called. Still not very nice, although my daughter has a very cute pink sheep that she cares about. And I think of that sometimes. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Be be afraid, little sheep. The sheep are so stupid that if you don't tell them to go to a different pasture, they'll start to grab Really. They are. They're extremely vulnerable to predators. Not very bright. Jesus called a sheep. (laughs) But there's a promise in there. There's something that's really ingenious that Jesus is saying. He says, Don't be afraid, little sheep, because the Father has given you. In other words, you're really powerless to provide for yourself. All that you really need, you can't get for yourself. You can't. There's no way for you to work hard and go get it. You can't even earn it that the Father has given you. You need new pasture? The Father has given you the kingdom. You need protection? The Father has given you the kingdom. All of those things that you need for the sheep. Don't be afraid. Because the Father has given you the kingdom. Here's what I'd say that Jesus says, don't be afraid, but fear God. Those two things sound like they can't exist at the same time but being afraid is the response that we would have when we look at a world that's all jacked up and say no i'm gonna keep my kids at home i'm gonna keep my spouse at home i'm not gonna go anywhere we all gonna huddle down and get a bunch of guns if you come around me i'm gonna buy that stuff online i saw a video online somebody trying to sell me food rations yesterday it was awesome i watched it for 20 minutes I can't believe I spent 20 minutes of my life for somebody trying to scare me into sho- really trying to shove some rationed food into my lap, right? That I was going to have to pay for so that when the government takes over the world, I, I, I would have food. But right? well, That's being afraid. You see, fear is actually a governance, it governs our lives. That which we fear the most, we will respond to the most. You see, if the worst fear you have is that your kids would get hurt one day, if that's the worst fear you have, you will do everything in your power to make sure your children are safe. If the worst fear you have is that one day you will wake up and there will be no money in your bank account, you will do everything within your power to address that fear. But if our worst fear... Is that we would fail God. We will respond to that ultimately. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of a world that is broken and lost when we fear God. Let's look at the last thing, offense. We live in a world where. Relationally, when someone has offended you, it is quite typical to cut that relationship off and walk away. To cut them off and to walk away, but would you look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6? If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That sounds like Jesus is putting together an equation for us. If I will forgive other people, God will forgive me. If I won't forgive other people, God won't forgive me. And that's not what Jesus is doing. He's actually giving us a litmus test to understand when we are really living in the love of God, you see, the thing about offense is it's going to happen. Just like we said earlier, people are going to wound you; they're going to offend you. Offense is inevitable. But Jesus teaches us a different way to deal with it. What Jesus would say to us is that we have the capacity to forgive and to demonstrate His love. That He has given us the ability to forgive and demonstrate His love. If we're going to live a new way, if we're going to embrace the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is choosing to forgive. And he's showing us in this passage that when we forgive, we demonstrate the love of God. Because when we've experienced the forgiveness and grace of God, when we have recognized that I'm wrong, I can't even earn the right to be right. I can't even do, I have nothing in my power to become right. I, don't, I can't even make that happen. And we surrender our lives to God and we look at Him, and God says, You are free. All of that sin that was a part of your life is covered in grace. When we encounter that type of love, when we embrace that way, it is impossible for us to look at someone who has sinned against us and go, Yeah, I can't forgive mm-hmm. you. not in light of the love of God, surrendered to us through Jesus. It's impossible. I mean, think about it. Like, you won't talk to somebody because they talked about your mom, right? You talked about my mama. I'm not, we're not friends anymore. We killed God's son. Our sin killed him. God said, I love you. I love you. Because my relationship with you matters a whole lot better than your friends. God, today there are many of us in the room who really are longing for a new way to live. There's a, a part of our our hearts that has felt like we just haven't been getting it. We've been moving in directions that feel broken and lost. And God, today as we spent time looking at the new way that you've given us to live. God, as we spent time unearthing the call that you gave us through Jesus to have a new way of navigating the world, would you by your grace Empower us to live in our newness today. God. for those of us that have been living and doing what's typical, but we don't want what's typical, we want what's new, would you free us today to step out of the typical, to step out of the normal and into the newness of God? For some of us today, God, maybe for the first time ever, we realize that the sin that has been so prevalent in our lives, sin that has reigned over us, the way of living that is so against what you would have us to do, that that style of living, that those sinful things have offended you. But you are not a God that is angered by that. God, instead, out of your love for us, you chose to send your son Jesus so that we could be reconciled to you. So maybe for years we've had the impression of a God that hates us because of what we've done, but I pray that today, we would see a God that loves us and wants to be made right with us. So today, nobody looking around. Let me just ask you where you are today. Maybe that's you. And maybe today you recognize that your life and the way that you've been living as so you haven't been following Jesus, that it has been offensive to God, because sin is an offense. But maybe today, maybe today for the first time you see that God doesn't want to hammer you over the head with the hammer, but he wants to receive you back to himself with a hug, that God has done everything in his power. To love you and to embrace you into his family. If that's you today, and you would say, Hey, I want to experience that grace and mercy and love of God like that. I've never experienced that. Would you raise your hand? If you're here today and you would say, well, you know, I, I have never lived this new way. I've never made a decision to walk into the newness of God. This can be a moment where we do that. If that's you, and maybe today as we were talking through some things, you realize that maybe there's some areas of your life that aren't going to do. If you want to embrace fully the new life that God wants to give you and to walk in His new way, if that's you, today, would you raise your hand as a sign to Jesus that we're going to commit the Father. Let's, let's pray. God, as we submit ourselves to you and look to you, it is With great humility that we recognize that we are quite powerless to do anything about the newness that you want to give us. We can't earn it, but God, you have been so good to us that you've invited us into a new relationship with you and that newness has all been purchased by Jesus. And so today we look at you, God, and ask you to come and to make us new. Invite us into a new way of living. Teach us to be forgiving and to be, God, those that give well and that that serve well and that value others. God, that we would live lives that look a lot like Jesus. That we would embrace the invitation you gave to Thomas. That you would become our way. It's in the name of Jesus.